Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm in the studio yet again with Caleb Anaveros. Caleb, welcome back to The God Solution. Uh, thanks. Last week, we began our debate, if you want to call it that, our discussion, whatever you want to call it, about the moral argument for God's existence. We went through some of the traditional arguments, some bad ones, some good ones. We cleared up some definitions for everybody. And we closed out the show talking about whether or not there can be an objective grounding for morality in a purely material world. I posed the question to Caleb that if we are in a purely material world, how could we have an objective grounding for morality? And asking the question, how could you say that one value is better than another, or something like that. Caleb ended talking on that topic, and we had to close out the show for time, but here we are, we're back, discussing the rest of this issue. Caleb, on that note, summarize kind of where we were last week. I posed you the question of how in a material world, and I'm sure we'll discuss this more today on the show, how in a material world we could have any real objective moral values or duties, how you could say that a, a little girl is anything more than a collection of atoms and molecules and deserves protection. I agree that that little girl deserves protection. My wife spent time in Cambodia and in Thailand actually helping girls that either were rescued from sex slavery or helping with prevention to keep them from being drugged into that. And I think it's very admirable for people to fight for social causes like that. But I guess the question is, if there is no God, if there's nothing more than the material universe that we see around us, why are those things valuable? Cool, thanks. So as I understand it, the argument goes uh, something like this. So the idea is that objective morality depends on God's existence in some way. So, But I want to know why the theist has a better explanation of why there are objective moral facts than the atheist or the naturalist. Um, and I guess one way you could say is because on the naturalist picture, humans are nothing more than atoms or complex nervous systems or something like this. Um, so it doesn't seem to me this argument is entirely persuasive. Um, in a debate with a philosopher named Shelley Kagan, William Lane Craig, another uh, Christian philosopher, um, you know, posed something like this question to Shelley Kagan. And I'll just read what he says because I think it's uh, fairly useful. You know, if you put it as complex systems, it sounds pretty deflationary. You know, what's so special about complex nervous systems? But of course that complex nervous system allows you to do calculus. It allows you to do astrophysics, to write poetry, to fall in love. Put under that description when asked why we'd be special because we can do poetry and think philosophical thoughts and think about the morality of our behavior. I'm not sure what kind of answer could possibly satisfy you at that point. So, and that seems, so that, that was his quote, and that seems convincing to me, right, on the naturalist picture, if you say, just atoms running around in a void, that's not what they're committed to. They're, they're committed to thinking, you know, there are human beings like us who do all these wonderful things, like poetry, philosophy, radio shows, and then if you ask, you know, what's so valuable about that? Well, I'm not sure what to say at that point. And I think that's the point of this discussion, is the atheist has nothing to say at that point. When we talk about value, we always are referencing a standard. And for the atheist, if there is no standard, there can be no ultimate value. There can be maybe proximate value. There could be maybe circumstantial value. Maybe we do fall in love. Maybe we do write poetry. Maybe we do do radio shows. But 
if we're all going to die and the final result for all humans is the same no matter what we do, whether we live morally or not, we all end up the same way and in the same place. If there's no actual purpose, if there's no actual result of being moral, then it seems to me that any illusion that morality is valid just vanishes. There's no real value, there's no real moral standards if the end results for humans and animals and the entire universe are the same no matter what we do. Is that correct? I'm not sure. I suppose there are uh, quite a few different thoughts in there. First, I think I want to ask what you mean by a standard. Do you mean some sort of principle or something like this in which we can determine which acts might be right or valuable? Because, of course, secularists have quite a few of those. You know, philosophers have been discussing, discussing moral principles for centuries. Um, it'd be too bad to say atheists don't have more principles they can refer to to explain why certain things might be bad because that would just be ignoring centuries of philosophy. So we've discussed how we both agree that philosophers, even non-Christian philosophers, can discuss moral issues and can be moral persons and things like that. What I'm saying is that an atheist in a material world does not have an objective standard for those values. So I do agree that there's been lots of moral philosophy that studies what is, we see that murder is wrong, we look around the world, we feel that way, we feel that lying is wrong, and we can study that and talk about that, and we can all agree that lying is wrong, but if there's nothing more than a material universe, why is murder wrong? Why is stealing wrong? Why is lying wrong? What standard makes it so? What feature of atoms makes lying wrong? I guess that's a good question. What feature of molecules makes lying wrong? Or, I don't know, well, lying isn't, or so murder isn't bad for molecules. It's bad for humans, right? So you can ask what feature of humans. I would say what feature, until an atheist agrees that there is a soul and that there is more to the human than atoms and molecules, and I'm not just saying consciousness, because if that's reducible to just the interaction of atoms and molecules, then at the end of the day, it's nothing more than atoms and molecules, right? If all it is is synapses firing and things like that, then it's nothing but one version of chemistry versus another version of chemistry. If, however, there's something more, there's a soul there, then I could say, yeah, that there is a real standard for what's right and wrong. So until I'm willing to admit that, I think I have to ground. You mentioned how morality must be grounded. So I guess what I'm looking for is where does the atheist ground moral values? Outside of material processes, outside of chemistry. And if there's no objective grounding outside of those things, then at the end of the day, we have to look for the grounding in those things. So why would chemistry dictate that humans murdering humans is wrong. Does that make sense? I think so, but I think it's confused on a number of levels. So, first, uh, as I said, uh, I suppose on our show last week, I'm inclined to think moral facts are actually don't have groundings or something like this. They're groundless. They're either self-explaining or they're the type of thing that don't need an explanation. Of course, lots of atheists might say, uh, might offer up theories where 
morality is in fact grounded in more natural facts. That's a, I suppose it's a somewhat complex debate, so I'll just take the side that they aren't grounded in natural facts. It's sort of non-natural or something like this. Um, so they either have no explanation or, you know, they're self-explaining. I'm not quite sure what to say about that, but because, because they're necessary. The second thing to say is we should make a distinction about what sorts of things exist in the world and what composes those things. So you can still say, on the naturalist view, you'd still want to say, you know, of course humans exist, and they're going to, ex and the properties that humans have, you know, like the properties, the ability to feel pain or something like this, is going to explain what's wrong. They're not, not the bees' properties. You don't have to say that it has to be properties of atoms that explain what's wrong, you know, in the same way. You don't have to say, you can say there are tables, even though tables are really just composed of trees or something like this. You wouldn't have to, have to uh, make that mistake. So it's not a mistake, though, when we come to something like this. You mentioned it again, and this is the real core issue of the debate, is you say morals exist and moral duties exist, but they don't need explanation and they're necessary. I have a hard time buying that. If I said, look, Caleb, God exists and he needs no explanation, you wouldn't let me get away with it. And so I guess, turning the tables, I don't think the atheist or the non-theist can get away with this explanation for morality. We all agree that moral values and duties exist, and that is a descriptive belief, I think, for the atheist. They see that certain things sure feel wrong. I don't like it when things experience pain or when kids are tortured or when people are robbed, things like this. I don't feel good about that. And there's something inside me that screams that this is not okay. This ought not to be. And we both agreed on the definition of morality that included this prescriptive component. It describes what ought to be. So why ought certain things be and other things not be. If there's nothing more than matter, I can't just say there's no explanation or they're just necessary. Why? Well, you're just begging the question. If you say there's nothing more than matter and that means there are only descriptive facts on the naturalist view or something like this. There are no facts about how the world ought to be on the naturalist view. There's just, uh, you know, there's no, there are no moral facts. It's just matter. I mean, that just states your conclusion. I'm not, the naturalist doesn't have to say there's just matter, there are humans, there are humans who do all sorts of wonderful things and have all these experiences, you know, other animals and so on. So it's really, I think it's a little bit sneaky to say there's just matter, there's nothing but matter on, on, the, material, on the naturalist view. Because there are different organizations of matter, like the tree and the table, but at the end of the day they're both matter. And well, they're both composed of matter, uh -huh. but of course they're still distinct, and there are properties that tables have that aren't had by trees, you can, you can say tables exist independently of trees and so on. You wouldn't want to say there's nothing but trees, there are no tables or something like this. Exactly. But the components of those are exactly the same. So we creatively design them to be different, and that's all great. That's a different discussion. But the material components of those things are the same. And I think this is where I've yet to hear a good answer other than there's no explanation. If this whole universe is all there is. If the material universe is all there is, and that includes, according to a humanistic, a naturalistic view, organisms that have supposedly evolved into conscious organisms and beings. Let's grant that. Let's say people have the ability to do great things and to 
feel pain. But even when we say great, we're assuming a standard here outside of the things themselves. The question that I'm still curious about, when we look at the moral argument for God's existence, again, just recapping or restating it from last week, if God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Objective moral values do exist, therefore God exists. If the atheist can't refute one of those two premises, the conclusion that God exists is valid and the atheism that they espoused is lost. And so we both agreed that premise number two is valid, so we're stuck on premise one. Or it's true. And just saying there's no explanation doesn't get the atheist out of that premise. We need more than just matter to come up with moral duties. And until the atheist provides some kind of standard that's greater, I don't know how they can claim to have a valid refutation of premise one. So I guess I'd want to say the naturalist can explain moral fact, or the naturalist is in the same position as the theist is. The theist really doesn't have a strong explanation for moral facts either. They'll say, so I would like, I suppose we can maybe move on in this direction. You know, how would you explain moral facts on the theistic picture? So I'm glad that you say that the theist doesn't have a strong answer either. Do you think that that's a weak answer when you say that the theist also has no strong answer? I think moral facts are necessarily existing facts and the types of things that are either self-explaining or maybe brute. So I think that the brute moral facts that you're discussing would really just be descriptive of material reality and how humans have evolved to feel if they were the case. But that just assumes the conclusion, right? So if you just say you're just restating your conclusion that there will be no moral facts on the naturalist picture. I'm just making an argument that I have yet to hear an explanation for why it should be so. Only that there is no explanation or that they're necessary or something to that effect. But you pointed out that you don't think theists have a grounding for objective moral values, correct? Or at least one that's better than the atheists at this point. Yeah, I think ultimately the theist is probably going to be stuck with saying something like the same thing. So I think the theist actually has a much stronger position here, and this is one reason this argument, I think, is so valid. The theist believes that there is a God that created this entire universe, and that that God is himself the standard of what ought to be. So that God determines what ought to be. So we do have a standard that is greater than just uh, no explanation necessary type of standard. We actually have a real standard, and it is grounded in the creator of the universe. Not only do we have a good explanation or a good standard, but we also have an enforcer of that standard. So even if we do agree that there could be objective moral values according to a naturalistic view of the universe... Well, this is a different argument, right? So maybe we should stick to one argument at a time. The, enforce, the enforcing argument would be separate from the, okay, the I, but I argument about moral Okay, but I think it's facts. a valid part of this that, that if there's no enforcer of those values, they're still somewhat irrelevant on the naturalistic side of things. But see, as a theist, no. I have both the standard and the enforcement of the standard. I think an analogy could serve us well. When we both drove to campus today, we obeyed traffic signs, and thankfully everybody we encountered did as well. And neither of us looked at a speed limit sign or a stop sign or a stoplight and said, 
I'm sure it just is there and no explanation is necessary. We both believe that there is a standard greater than either of us, namely the city of Durango, its government, its police officers that establish those standards in this city and county and that will also enforce those standards. And thankfully they will because it allows life to happen without too much trouble here in the county. But neither of us would assume that those rules that govern life need no explanation, that they just happen to be, and that there will be no enforcement of them if they're broken. I think that kind of view is lacking, and that's where the theistic view actually has so much weight. I have both the explanation for the standard and the enforcement of the standard all in one. It's the whole package, and I think we all understand this. When somebody does wrong, I think they, in their heart of hearts, know that they will give an account for that wrong, and at the same time, they know that it was genuinely wrong and that strong deep knowledge of what's true morally i think is what is so compelling about the moral argument for god's existence so let's go start at the beginning how does we might ask how the theist explains why killing innocent people is in general wrong and they might say something like because that's what god's commands dictate or because that's what god's nature dictates and then we'll ask, why do what God's commands dictate? Why do what God's nature dictates? What's your answer there? So if God is the creator of this universe, and I think, again, that there's good evidence for that proposition, whether we look at the cosmological argument or others, when I recognize that God as creator of this universe is the standard for all that happens in the universe that he created, I think that there is very good reason to obey him. And when I realize that I'll what's, give an what's the reason? or not... What's the, why should we obey the creator of the universe? What moral reason do we have to do that? What moral reason? Yeah. Not prudential reason. I don't, I don't know. I'm not asking about, you know, will it be enforced if I obey, you know, the, you know, the moral norm against killing innocent people or something like this. I'm not asking about that. But I'm asking, you know, what's the explanation for why... Um, it's wrong to kill innocent people, and then you go back because we ought to obey the standard or the, the the creator of the universe or something like that. But why think that? Why think we ought to obey the creator of the universe? Well, obviously, and this is a bit of an offshoot from our discussion, but obviously the creator of the universe is God and sustainer of this universe. And I would assume that that God, in a personal sense, I would assume that that God knows what's best for me and can dictate that to me. And if he had the capacity to create all of this, and I think the enforcement has to come into this conversation, and if he has the capacity to punish me for not obeying his standard, then Wait, it so this is the reason why moves me to obey okay. his standard. And I, I think, though, that when we ground, this is, we're talking about where do we ground morality. And I think you asked, how does the theist ground morality? And I'm explaining that theist grounds morality in God's very nature and his commands. Mm -hmm. And that is a perfectly reasonable place to ground morality if God exists, and I think there are good reasons for believing that God exists. But the question for the atheist is, how could we have such a grounding in the absence of God? It would have to just be in something in the material universe. I have yet to hear an answer to that other than that there is no explanation. It just happens to be, or it's just necessary, or things like that. And I don't yet understand how that's necessary but we've kind of 
discussed that a whole lot. I know that there's more to get to. What were you? I guess so. I guess my idea is that it seems like the theist is committed to the same thing. They're just these brute ethical norms, a norm like we ought to obey God or something like this, or we ought to do what God's nature dictates. What's the explanation for that? So there God are. There is no explanation on probably on the theistic view for why we ought to do why God's nature dictates. Or at some point you're going to come back to some reason and that you know you might say we have to do what God's nature dictates because God knows what's best for us. But then you might ask why do what the creature that knows what's best for us dictates and and so on. And at some point you're going to, it seems like you're going to come to this brute moral fact or something like this that it's probably going to have no explanation. So, and so I think the naturalists can sort of say the same thing. Ultimately, there are going to be these brute moral facts or something like this, and then you know there'll be a variety of different views about what those are. I think that from the atheist side, without a grounding for those, they're just descriptive. They're not at all prescriptive. Oh, no, they they're not. The fact how I should live. Well, of course they do. There's a fact. You shouldn't, in general, murder innocent people. That's a descriptive fact or prescriptive. Sorry, okay. it's not. Descri- it's uh, normative. It should be normative and prescriptive, but without a greater standard and an enforcer of that standard, it isn't. Where do you see in nature the rule that you should not kill innocent people? I mean, I believe you believe that, but what I'm what I'm coming back to is what natural grounding do you have for that? So the idea is you need enforcement or something like this. Both have- the grounding for it and the enforcement for it. The theist has both. I feel that the atheist has neither. I don't think... The atheist has these moral impulses and feelings, which I commend, and I think they're valuable. But I don't think they can get any better than they just are. Yeah, I suppose... So I don't think you need an enforcer. If by enforcer you mean someone who makes sure everyone gets what they deserve in the end or something like this. Or is that what you mean? So you think it's wrong to kill people, but it doesn't matter whether anybody is ever held accountable for killing people. It doesn't matter in the end whether people are ultimately held accountable. Of course not. That'd be crazy. So suppose you, you go back to your stopping sign example. Suppose you're walking around Durango and there's no government or something like this, no enforcer of the laws. It wouldn't all of a sudden be permissible to go around killing innocent people just because you could get away with it or something like that. Of course not. You still have these moral norms. I agree with that. I agree that there are these moral rules for how we should live. Yeah, that aren't dependent on whether they're enforced or not. Or do you think they are dependent? I think the enforcement strongly helps the theist's claim. I think we have more than that. I agree with you. We actually have a grounding outside of the material universe in God's very nature. But in addition to that, we also have enforcement. And I think that sure helps the theistic case. It doesn't hurt it by any means. At the same time, that's not all the theist has. We have something more than atoms and molecules to ground moral facts in and to understand the grounding of moral facts. I guess the few things I want to say in the end, I think that nothing more or nothing more than molecules and matter is a bit sneaky. Um, we're, we're much more than atoms and molecules in the naturalist picture. You know, we're beings who love, laugh, cry, and so on. Um, and then, so, when it comes to this bit about motivation, um, maybe it's true that the theist can provide some motivation. You know, ultimately, in the end, people are going to be held accountable for their good and bad deeds or something like this. But I don't think you need that for moral norms, and maybe it's a, a nifty bonus, but at the same time, it might actually have its setbacks. So, in the theist view, you might actually not be able to make sense of 
genuine self-sacrifice or something like this. In the naturalist view, you can, right? You, you can do what's right. Because on the theist view, everything you do it will ultimately be rewarded or something like this. So it doesn't seem like there's too much force in that bit of the argument either. But thanks a lot for having me on. As we close out, I don't want to keep you from the last couple things that you wanted to mention. You wanted to talk about how atheists and theists and Christians can work together. And we have a couple of minutes here to close out the show. But real quickly, how are some ways we have big disagreements when it comes to why we should do what we should do and how we will be held accountable for doing or not doing certain things. But how can we work together in the meantime? Yeah, totally. I think theists and, and naturalists, atheists, everyone really can join hands in fighting for different moral causes. Uh, some, you know, I'll just mention two in particular that both atheists and Christians have been concerned about. Um, one is uh, the animal suffering. So there's a famous atheist philosopher named Peter Singer who wrote a book um, you know, describing how awful uh, creatures in factory farms tend to be treated and, and that we should recognize animals that are valuable in their own right and we wouldn't dream of treating dogs the way cows and chickens are treated um, in many and most, in fact, um, factory farms. And similarly, Christians such as Matthew Scully, a former speechwriter for President Bush or philosopher Charles Camosi or theologian Andrew Lindsay or even Nate himself, you know, convince people to buy more vegetarian products or something like this. I think that's, that's something that's pretty cool. Uh, so so there's, al- and then there's also the issue of global poverty. You know, by living in the richest, one of the richest countries, uh, we have the ability to save lives by giving to effective charities that fight global poverty. Um, again, Peter Singer's written awesome stuff here. I definitely check out his TED Talk. Um, and of course, you know, Christians have emphasized giving and or other theists as well have emphasized giving for centuries. So I think I think it's really important to note that you know, beyond all these exciting, fun debates, we can go out into the wor- real world and make it better as well. Absolutely. And then on a personal level, I agree with Hitchens, who was an ardent atheist, yet was pro-life, and I agree with his overlap with some Christian values and fighting for that social cause together. I think that was good. There are other causes we could fight for together, too. I think that when we see guys like Singer, though, there are obviously these big questions. He's arguing for post-birth abortion and things like that, which um, really brings into question um, some of the issues that we talked about today. How do we know what's right and how do we know what's wrong and things like that? I just want to say along that line, so that the Christians, a lot of people will say of people who support animal rights, you know, because often sometimes people have the view that, you know, we should be vegetarian or something like this but it's abortion ought to be legal or something like this. And it seems like there might be something inconsistent. Like, you think it's wrong to eat animals, but not okay to kill these fetuses or something like this. But maybe you can run it the other way, too. So the Christian, Charles Camosi, says, you know, look, Christian, you think it's all right to kill this being that isn't even conscious, the fetus in, you know, in, the, early state, in the early stages, um, but you don't think it's wrong to kill an animal who, has, who is a subject of experience, has, you know, perhaps not social relations as strong as we do, but still has ties to the beings around it. But it's, and it's not wrong to kill that bean? Well, that's a little bit strange. So maybe it goes both ways. So we can find overlap. Yeah, <laughs> we can exactly. Find overlap. All right, well, thanks for being on the show, Caleb. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Well, that wraps up our interview with Caleb Anaveros. I don't believe that the explanation that you just don't need an explanation for 
absolute objective moral values holds any water. I still believe that the theist has the strongest position when it comes to morality. And I do believe that objective morality has to be grounded in something more than the material universe, namely God. Tune in next week for my side of the moral argument for God's existence. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Again, this is just one of many arguments for God's existence. There are so many more. I hope that you find the evidence compelling and that you would make the decision today to put all your faith and all your trust in Jesus, recognizing that he alone can give you eternal life. He alone beat death and he alone can offer you eternal life. You can come to him by faith today saying, Jesus, please forgive my sins. Please come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again to give me life. He says the second you put your faith in him, you'll be adopted into his family. Visit GodSolutionShow.com to see a list of local churches and the times and places that they meet so that you could visit one this morning. Do not come to Connect this Tuesday because it'll be spring break and we'll be gone. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And I believe... That if you search for him with all your heart, you'll find him. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.